Matthew chapter number five this morning. It's going to be these time, one of these times we're not going to dig deep this morning. We're just going to dig a little. But, uh, you know, we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about answered prayer. We've been talking about wanting God to do something for us. And uh, we've been seeing it. We've been getting a blessing. Uh, there's been some answered prayer. All of it you can't talk about, you know, but you've seen God work in different things. And, uh, man, I like it. So... Uh, Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. He's, uh, he's been baptized by John in the River Jordan, and he's, he's gone up on the Mount of Temptation and fasted for 40 days, and the devil tempted him. He answered every, every temptation with the Word of God, which is what we need to do. When you start to get into trouble, you need to turn to the Word of God. Answer Satan with it. Even when he comes back at you with scripture. I've seen some people try to use scripture and it's just like, you just don't even know what you're talking about. And, uh, but it's knowing what God's word says. But after the Mount of Temptation, and it says in uh, verse number 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I bring this up because when we get to the Sermon on the Mount here in chapter number five, he's speaking to the Jews and he's, he's speaking to them after, after all this time under Moses' law. Moses' law was laid out. It was, it was God's law laid out through Moses, but they, they had to follow the, they had to offer the sacrifices. They had to do the things that were external. They could look at each other and they could say, man, there's a righteous man. He's there. He tithes. He shows up to church every time. I'm just throwing that in. He, he tithes. He takes care of his offerings. They could look at the Pharisees and the scribes and say, they, those are the men that are close to God. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins to tell them what's really in God's mind. Um, through Jesus Sermon on the Mount, we see that success in the spiritual life is eternal in the eyes of God. You know, so, so many times people think that if they're doing everything on the out, right on the outside, then they're right with God. Our hearts are wicked by nature. It's something to know. God looks on the inside and he can see the wickedness of our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But we see examples throughout the Old Testament that a heart can be prepared. Whenever you read through the Old Testament, you get over to 2 Chronicles 12, 14. It talks about King Rehoboam that didn't prepare his heart. It says, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. This is the introduction. We're going to pray here in a minute. So you cannot prepare your heart. You're liable to set yourself up for doing wickedness and evil. Uh, we get to the book of Ezra. It said when he was going to teach God's law to others, he prepared his heart. It says in Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That preparation of the heart. When we kneel down to pray, when we turn to God, when we turn to God's word, we want to prepare our heart. We don't want to just open up God's word and spout wisdom from God's word. I've seen it so many times in commentaries that you can, they can talk all about God's word without actually knowing God's word. or without They might know all about God's word, but it just doesn't seem like it sunk in. 
I'm not going to explain that to y'all. You'll see it one day or maybe you've seen it already. But let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? And we'll look at the Sermon on the Mount here. Just a few verses. Amen. So in Matthew chapter number five, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we could go on further, but we're just going to go right there today. And we're going to talk about the heart. We're going to talk about a right heart. And the first part about a right heart is having an honest heart, an honest heart with God. A person who's poor in spirit, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we talk about a person who's poor in spirit, we're not talking about poor spirited. We're not talking about somebody that's broke. We're not talking about somebody that's living in poverty to be spiritual. We're talking about somebody who, who understands their need in the spirit. Someone who has an honest depend, opinion of his or her spiritual condition. A person will admit spiritual poverty. A person that will admit spiritual poverty is well on their way to faith in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying on that? I see some confusion. An honest heart. Somebody that doesn't realize they need to be saved. It's like I talk about when you're witnessing to someone and you say, well, you know, I've given this illustration so many times, it's probably not good. You go to someone and you point them out in the Ten Commandments and you're showing them. You say, well, have you ever committed adultery? And they say, no, I haven't. And you say, well, you know, Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5, whosoever whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her committed adultery already in his heart. And then you get to the part and you you tell them, if you were to stand before God on the day of judgment, would you be guilty or innocent? And they say, oh, I think I'd be innocent. Well, we just discovered that you're an adulterer at heart, a lying thief and adulterer at heart. Why do you think you'd be innocent? You've got to have an honest heart to be able to look at your own self and to admit your sin in order to come to God. Someone that can't admit their own sin won't come to God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And then there's that but there. But you never get past the but until they understand about the cost of the sin. So the poor in spirit doesn't mean that you have to be poor in life. It's not about finances. It's about realizing your need for God. Over in John 9.41, Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. This was when he healed the blind man and the Pharisees were saying, our, our father is Abraham and, and we haven't sinned and this and that. And Jesus, uh, Jesus told him, he said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Somebody that's willing to admit it. Somebody to be honest. Look over in uh, Revelation chapter number three. Over in Revelation chapter number three. And uh, hopefully, as the Lord allows it, we'll be, we'll be studying Revelation here on our Tuesday night Bible study. 
Revelation chapter number three talks about seven different churches. It gets to the last church. It's the church of Laodicea. And uh, these, these churches tend to represent ages in the church. And I think we're in the last age here, the Laodicean age. Look at uh, verse number 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen and the faithful and true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, and this is to the church of Laodicea, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. Just break you away for a minute. You know, there's some sermons you never forget. I remember when I was a kid, before I was even saved, sitting in church, and I remember that preacher up there with, with three different chairs. <laughs> you had the cold, you had the hot, or two different chairs. You had the cold and you had the hot. I never forgot that. You know, the church of Laodicea, they're neither cold nor hot. They're neither against God nor they're neither really for him. They're just kind of there. They just kind of attend. You ever met anybody like that? Um, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, and this is why, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. God's telling the church that the church is saying, man, we got it going on. All of this is going on. We've got money. We, we, we got all kinds of activity going on. We got all kinds of things going on and they're not really open to the things of God. I'm not saying that that's every church that's like that. I'm saying there are churches that are like that. There are people that are like that. I've got everything I need. I don't really need God. i got everything going on. I don't really need God. It's an honest heart that's able to look at yourself and say, yeah, all this is going on, but Lord, how do I look in your eyes? It's being honest with yourself. Look at uh, Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18. talking about having a right heart attitude. Luke chapter number 18, verse number 10. It talks about the two men that went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He stands up there and he stands before God and he looks at himself and he says, Lord, I'm so much better than this person over here. And there's people that do that. Lord, I'm so much better than this person over there. They're struggling with alcohol. They're struggling with sin. They're struggling with drugs. They're struggling with all these things. But I got it going on. I'm building up a retirement. Lord, I make it to church. I tithe. I help with the building project. I help with the building fund. I've been sending the money to missions. I've been doing all this stuff, Lord, and I thank Thee that I'm not like them. I, you know, sometimes that's what I hear when I say, there but by, by the grace of God go I. Sometimes that's what I hear. 
But two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as is publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, he was the tax collector. He was, he was the crook standing afar off. The Pharisee was the one that represented God or that, that stood close to God, supposedly. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's just having an honest heart. When he stood up there, he didn't say, you know, I've done pretty good. I've I've got it set pretty good. That publican got down on his knees. And as he thought about praying to God, it hurt him to even come to God. How many times is it like that? The further you get away from God, the harder it is to pray to him. Because you know. It's like you've done something wrong and you know you got to go home. You don't want to face your parents. I don't know how many kids know how that's like anymore. But I remember when I was a kid, right, you messed up. (laughs) You get taken home and you got to face the parents. You go before God and you're like, Lord, I know I messed up, but I want to be right with you. I know that I went and did this. I know that I haven't done this. I know that I failed in this area, Lord. And he looks up and he beats himself on the breast. He just said, Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't care about the publican. He doesn't care about anybody else around him. All he cares about is him and the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be self-centered and only worried about our relationship. But when it comes to being honest with God, we need to have our heart open to him. You know, the opposite of being honest would be a hard heart. You need to have a soft heart. You need to have a heart that's receptive to God. You need to have a heart that's receptive to his words. If you have an honest heart, it's also going to open you up to a heavy heart. Look at verse number four in Matthew chapter number five. He says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The heart that mourns over sin is the heart that will confess and find the comfort of forgiveness. Initially, they'll find the forgiveness after salvation, of of salvation. And after salvation, they'll find the comfort of forgiveness for sins that they confess. Over in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And you know, some of the best times in church were when the preacher was tanning my hide. (laughs) If you don't have correction... You start to, you don't pay attention when you're going down the road and you don't steer. And you start to drift further and further. And then you start to feel those lines. Unfortunately, I feel them lines a lot of time when I'm driving. And you got to pull even harder to get back onto the road. But it's, it's that heart, it's that heavy heart. When, you, when you're in church service when, or, or anywhere, when you're reading God's words, when you're praying and God shows you things, how many times when you're praying does the Holy Spirit show you? You're, you're praying and that answer comes while you're praying. This is the answer. It happens a lot when I'm getting ready for the sermon. But uh, being in church service and the preacher's up there and he's tanning my hide and man, he's, he must have been reading my mail. He must have been monitoring my phone calls. I don't know what. 
But God's just speaking to me and saying, you remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? That's an open heart. That's a heavy heart. And you begin to have, be burdened about your sin. If you're, if you're not in church, if you're not in God's word, and he's not able to do that, he's not able to point out those things, and you, you can't get them right. But it's the sweetest feeling when you have that heavy heart, when you're mournful, and you, you, you begin to correct, and you begin to feel God's presence. You know, the Bible says over in James, he says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. I've always thought about that. You start to get away from God, and then you start to draw closer to him. It's like all I can do right now is just read a few verses. And God says, I'm, I'm here with you here. And you say, well, you know, this seven minutes, this is kind of extending out to 15. God says, oh, let me show you a little something here while you're here. You begin to pray, and God says, let me take care of that for you. You begin to draw closer to God. You say, you know, Lord, I could probably handle today, but I don't want to do it without you. God said, that's all right. I'll be right here with you. Let's go through this together. And then God begins to open doors here and there. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about wealth or sales on clothes at pennies or anything like that. I'm just talking about God working in your life. Man, I'd like to be to the point, and, and it's, I would like to be to the point, and I would like our church to be to the point where God's just all over you. You walk around somebody, and, and somebody's not right with God, they just get nervous. Not because you got their finger in their face. <laughs> not because you're sitting there saying, you're a sinner. You, you, you're, you're dying. You're going to hell. You don't need to do that. When God's all over you, he, when God's presence is riding with you, I know a member now. I, I, I won't say her name. I know a member. It just seemed like God's all over her. Every time I talk to them, they're helping somebody else. Or, or just, you just know God's working in their lives. And that's the way I want it to be for every member of this church. You know, when we talk about prayer and we talk about getting our heart right, I want it to be for all of us. I'd like this church to just radiate into the neighborhood. Amen? Make people mad or glad one way or the other, but they won't be sitting lukewarm. So mourning over sin, as you approach the things of God with an honest heart, you'll begin to have a heavy heart for your sin. You begin to see your own sin and the sins of others as it is in God's eyes. You'll begin to mourn for the sins of others. When someone's messing up, you're not sitting there judging them. <laughs> you're saying, it's hurting God. And you see their soul. You begin to see their soul and you begin to pray for them to come to the Lord. Amen. When you have that heavy burden. So not only do you need an honest heart and a heavy heart, which will lead to a heavy heart. But look at verse number five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, you read this and you think, well, I just got to let everybody walk all over me. Did Jesus, did everybody walk all over Jesus? He allowed them to do what he did, but he did it with a purpose. There was a purpose behind what happened. According to Haddon Robinson, tied up in the word meek is the concept of power under control. The idea of being submissive to someone greater than ourselves. So being biblically meek is being a submission to God. It is not Mean, it does not mean a lack of strength, but strength that is under God's control. Amen. When Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He prayed, if it be thy will, let this cup be taken, pass. Let it be taken from me. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus stood before the whips. He was still strong. He stood before Pilate. He wasn't weak. He was just meek. He allowed it to happen. Being under control. On YouTube, there's a karate instructor. He's instructing his students. And he says, I'm going to show you the one move that will win every fight. With this one move, you'll never lose a fight. And all the students are like, what's this one? Tell us, sensei. And he, he's there, and he faces off with the other person. And then he goes. <laughs> he said, you'll never lose a fight that way. And he's showing them the strength isn't always in the battle. This, this strength is in being able to walk away and you know, able to be control. And when you talk about that strength, that, that uh, conviction, the humble heart, Adrian Rogers in one of his sermons, I, I wrote a quote here from one of his sermons, Crossing God's Deadline. He says, a man will sit in a service like this. He will hear the word of God. The finger of God will touch his heart. He will feel under conviction the pastor will stand in the pulpit and say, your, say, give your heart to Christ, and pride sets in. Pride, the opposite of being humble. He said, pride sets in the seat with the man, that woman, and pride says, look around you. You see all these people? You're just as good as they are. Don't you go down to the front in that church service. Why, you'll make a spectacle of yourself. People will be watching you. Besides that, you can just do it privately, right here in your heart. After all, no one needs to know that you're going to give your heart to Jesus. He said, I want to tell you something, friend. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and of my word before this sinful and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come to the glory of the Father and with the holy angels. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in him should not be ashamed. And in Romans 9.33, but pride, 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 rotten, dirty pride keeps people from coming to Jesus. They'll harden their hearts, and when the invitation is given, they'll stiffen their neck. They'll lift up their heads. They lock their knees. They stalk out of the church to their, to their doom, bound in the chains, the cold, steely chains of pride that have been forged on the anvil of a hard heart, and they harden their neck. That's, there's not much to add to that. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 7.14, when we talk about the humble heart, you can go there, you can listen, but it's a common verse. It's used all the time. And I'm often reminded by my Bible believer brethren, you know, this is Old Testament, and he's talking to the Jews, and he is, and there's still a devotional application for us. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, I can't help but look out at America today and think that. But more importantly, I can't help but think of looking out to Americans today and thinking that. If we pray, if we turn toward God, he said, if my people, which are called by my name, it, it, it can still apply to us today. I know you've got to keep the Bible dispensationally intact. I understand that. But if you will... Turn from your ways. He says, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If there's something going on in your life and you need to turn away from it, if you need to humble yourself, 
Don't let pride get in the way. If God's speaking to you about something, I mean, if you want it like I described, if you want God to be all over you, if you want the Holy Spirit working through you, if you want to see your prayers answered, if you, if you want to be drawn close to God, there's things God shows you, you need to stop, whatever it is. I'm a mean preacher, ain't I? I could get up here and nail all kinds of things. I could just say all kinds of things that come to mind, and I might not hit it. And you'll say, whew, he didn't name mine. <laughs> and you'll go, whew, he must not have been talking to me. He didn't mention this over here. No, I'm just going to leave it out there on the, on the whiteboard. Amen? What's the Holy Spirit showing you that you need to get out of your life? When you have a humble heart, when you have an honest heart, and when you have a heavy heart, you're also going to have a hungry heart. Look at Matthew number 6, 5 verse 6. He said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. To hunger and thirst after righteousness should be a characteristic of every Christian. We should be hungry for it. We should be hungry. We should desire to be right with God as a Christian. There's people say that, you know, I know Christ. I was saved. Yeah, I was saved, and I'm going to go do what I want to do. I had somebody tell me that one time. Things weren't going well for him, but I'm saved, you know. Brother Keith, well, he didn't call me Brother Keith. (laughs) He just said, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll drink with them down here, down the hill. Talking about the trailer park. We had hills in Georgia. Amen. But he was, his trailer was down the hill. He said, I'll drink with them down the hill and I'll send them up to you. That was going to be his ministry. A hungry heart, a hunger and thirst after righteousness should be a characteristic of every Christian. We want to, we should want to please God by doing what's right. We should hunger and thirst for the things of God and his word and apply them to our lives as they do and are satisfied, but then they will hunger and thirst some more because they want to be satisfied again. You begin to get into God's word and you begin to read, you want to know more. You know, one of the most frustrating times for me is when I ain't got but a little time to read and you just want to, you just want to sit there for days in it. And I told you all I have problems with studying anyway, but you know, when you get that moment, you just want to hang on to it. You want to learn more about God. You get to hearing the good sermons. You want to hear more of them. Begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Oh, that that would be our walk, that we would desire to be closer and closer to God. Amen. I'm going to close out today and blow your minds. But if you'll stand.